So we come to this place in the middle of the book of Jonah that is very different from the narrative that we've seen already. And uh, this is confusing to, to some commentators. They look at this and they, and they wonder why uh, we're bursting into poetry. And in the midst of this poetry, there is an incredible amount of water imagery. It's very much similar to the Psalms that speak of the, the psalmist encountering floods and encountering great waters, like Psalm 69. Passages in the Psalms that speak of God bringing about judgment and, and, and judging people according to their, their righteousness. Passages that point ultimately to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the, on the cross as Lord Jesus Christ took that judgment upon himself and as he uh, established the righteousness that, that we need by exchanging our sin for his righteousness. But the book of Jonah is different because this sounds like a psalm in the middle of this, of this book, but it's actually the actual experience of Jonah. Expanded somewhat to the depths of Sheol, to the bars of the, of the grave, to uh, consider where he he was going as he as he headed down 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 all all the way to the very threshold of death. He is going to be delivered from death by not having to experience it, but by being in the belly of this fish and being vomited out onto dry land. He's going to be delivered from death. But it's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ's deliverance from death. Jesus tells us that. Uh, in the Gospels as he talks to us about the sign of Jonah. But there's something else that happens as all of this water imagery is compressed into just a few verses, actually more verses uh, containing water imagery in one place than, than you find in the Psalms. And knowing that it's the actual experience of Jonah enables us to see something that's taking place in this dark, watery place, this dark, watery grave, as Jonah begins to understand it. We saw last time that God was teaching Jonah in the belly of that whale. He's, he's working uh, with him. It's a divine timeout. It's a, it's a way in which uh, Jonah is being instructed. And we find out in uh, this chapter what Jonah has learned. So there's uh, in this passage, in the, in the structure of it, uh, Jonah praying uh, to the Lord his God from the fish's belly in verse 1. And then there's a summary of the prayer that he prayed in verse 2. And then the, the rest of the, the chapter, we could divide it into Jonah's call for help, verses 3 to 6 at the beginning, and then God's answer. But... There's a nagging question that comes about, especially as you know more about the book of Jonah. You know that uh, chapter 2 parallels chapter 4. And the question is, during this divine time out, during this time when he's in the belly of this great fish, did Jonah change? And the answer, as we begin to look at it, as we begin to unpack it, is yes and no. He changed in some ways, but he didn't change in others. 
And we see that as we look into chapter 4, and we see how angry Jonah still is, how reluctant he still has been to uh, carry out his mission, even though he will, because God is causing him to change. It's a complicated answer. It's a complicated answer because Jonah is a picture of someone much greater than himself. And Jonah is reflecting the Lord Jesus Christ in a negative way. He's not like Jesus. He's the opposite of the way he's supposed to be. Even when he reaches this point in which he is experiencing the judgment of God. In this chapter, uh, in these incredibly profound uh, psalm-like statements that Jonah makes, he doesn't appear to acknowledge his own sin. He acknowledges deliverance. He acknowledges that he has been, been delivered by God, that God saves him. But he still continues to focus upon simply his own deliverance. And ultimately, as he goes to the Ninevites and as, as he proclaims the message that he was given and the Ninevites repent, he will be angry about it. Because he believes that salvation is of the Lord, but he wants that deliverance for himself and on his own terms. And so this is the Jonah that we're facing as we encounter his prayer. Jonah prays to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. And this is what he said. It's a summary uh, statement uh, in verse 2. I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. That's Jonah summarizing what it is that happened in the belly of that fish. It's an amazing thing. Jonah cries out to the Lord because of his affliction, an affliction that was brought about by his own disobedience, and he answered. He goes to the place that is called Sheol, the, the basically the, the place of the dead, to the very belly of it. So Jonah is no longer talking about being in the belly of a fish. He's talking about being in the belly of the place of the dead. He's talking about getting to the place where he is right where the dead reside. And he says, his voice was heard. Why was that voice heard? Why was he heard from that place? If he was under God's judgment, if, if he was being... Uh, punished for his for his sins he was heard because there was a greater one than Jonah who went to the belly of Sheol in fact into the heart of the earth and stayed there for three days and then was raised from the dead to be the deliverer and that message was going to be the means by which Jonah's message to the Ninevites was going to be effective but in order for Jonah to give that message, change or not, he has to be delivered from the watery grave, the place where he has uh, found himself because of his disobedience to God. And so he begins to unpack what it was like to be in that particular place. But look at what it says. If you think about Jonah in chapter one, you think about what was the reason why he was in the sea in the first place, you remember that it was his 
fault. Yes, he waited for the sailors to cast him in, but it was Jonah running away from God that was the reason for the storm in the first place. But look at what he says in verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. You, God, cast me into the deep, he says. And then uh, that matches the way in which uh, he is delivered down in verse 6 as he says, you have brought up my life from the pit. Jonah at least recognizes this much. The Lord has cast him into the deep and the Lord has brought his life up from the pit. Salvation is of the Lord. He knows that he is in the deep because the Lord would not let him go and be disobedient. He was sending him to Nineveh, so he did, in one sense, cast him into the pit. But Jonah completely, conveniently, shields himself, and in this in this psalm, this declaration, his own conscience from his role in this. I mean, after all, he could have said to the sailors, I'm the guilty one. I'm responsible because I disobeyed God, and then jump into the sea himself. But he didn't. He waited around for God to do it through the pagan sailors who didn't want to do it. And he says, you cast me into the deep. So Jonah is talking to the Lord, but he isn't quite acknowledging areas of his heart that are in need of instruction. For that, we need the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need the spirit of the risen Christ. And we need the the character of the Lord Jesus Christ to be developed inside of us. But Jonah is learning lessons. Jonah is learning here in this place uh, that he is now in a place that is far past his ability to control. He can no longer control the the. Uh, events surrounding him or attempt to control them because he is sinking deeper and deeper. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Now Jonah is under the water. The waves are passing over his head. He is sinking. And Jonah begins to experience what this is like uh, as he tells us in Verse 4, then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Jonah has the experience of one who has been forsaken by God, of one who has been cast out of God's sight. And we remember that Jonah was a picture, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we remember the Lord Jesus Christ very clearly having this experience on the cross as he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jonah, in this odd way, even though he's not acknowledging his own role in everything, becomes a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even his internal experience, more concrete than the psalmist when they're talking about the waters descending upon them, because he's actually experiencing it, says to himself, I have been cast out of your sight. But Jonah has this confidence. He has this incredible confidence uh, on one level just really uncanny and hard to fathom he says 
yet I will look again toward your holy temple. He has this sense that he will be able to look upon God's temple. Jonah is a Jew through and through. He's desiring to look towards the earthly temple. It's the temple that Solomon dedicated in 1 Kings chapter 8, the temple that uh, Solomon talked about as being a place where people could receive forgiveness if they acknowledged it. Jonah's not even acknowledging his sin. He's not repenting. But he says, I will look toward your holy temple. Why would God allow that? Why would God allow him to have this contradiction where he says, I'm cast out from your sight, but I'll look towards your holy temple again? It's because something bigger than Jonah was taking place. Something that Jonah is experiencing, but something that he could not fully experience because he was denying his sinfulness. Something that only could be fully experienced by the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ who was experiencing that uh, phenomenon of being forsaken by God. And yet the book of Hebrews tells us that in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save from death, we're told that he was hurt because of his godly fear. And we're told that because even though he was a son, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. In other words, the the experience of the Lord Jesus Christ taught him to trust the living God and to intercede for sinners because he himself was being treated like one. He was heard because of his prayer. And Jonah has a small snippet of an experience of this. Jonah, who's so full of contradictions, says, I've been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. He's going to be delivered. Then he goes back to the experience again in verse 5. The water surrounded me even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Seaweed. He's experiencing the deep closing around him. He goes into a place that reminds us of a watery grave. But this watery grave for Jonah is far deeper than we would even expect a watery grave to be. In the ancient Near East, the idea was that the the very bottom of the sea was the place of the dead. It was the place where there was a place where you entered down there, where if you entered into it, you could not return. And that's where Jonah experiences himself to be. Verse 6, it says, I went down to the moorings of the mountains. This is the, the very depth of the watery grave. This is where it goes down to, the very depths of the earth where the, where the mountains are connected to the bottom of the sea and the earth with its bars closed behind me 
<laughs> not just temporarily, forever. He goes to a place in, in Jonah's uh, reflection upon this where the bars in the place of the dead closed on him forever. He's in a prison and the prison is death and the suffering and, and being separated from God that takes place there forever. Now we know in the case of this chapter, because we've read all the way to chapter 2 and verse 10, that it's not forever. Jonah was vomited onto dry land. He's going to go to Nineveh. There's more that's going to happen in the book of Jonah. But we shouldn't forget that Jonah is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because the Lord Jesus Christ was the God-man, when he was on that cross, when he experienced death, the Lord Jesus Christ went to the place where the bars closed on his life forever. Why? Because he is infinite as God and he's able to experience the penalty of hell, the penalty of eternal hell forever in three hours on the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ took the experience of Jonah and he experienced it. If Jonah experiences the Psalms in a, in a literal way, in a natural way, because he's in the water, this is a depth of experience that even Jonah did not experience in the way that he describes it. It's the way that Jonah is experiencing it in this fish, the way he expresses it, that points us to Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know what it's like to be in the belly of a fish for three days. I don't know what happens to your mental state. But I don't believe that this passage of Scripture is designed to simply speak to us about the mental state of Jonah. These poetic words are beyond Jonah. It is a reality beyond Jonah's experience. A reality that Jonah brushed up against a reality that, that he was able to write about because he's a prophet of God and he's, and he's writing poetic words that are like words that could be in the Psalms. But Jesus actually did experience separation from God and being in the place where the bars closed on him, a prison called death and the experience of hell forever for his people. And then that mat wonderful word. After the word forever is the word yet. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit. Amen. Jonah knows that he's speaking poetry because he has been brought up from the pit. He has not gone to the place where the bars closed on him forever. He has been delivered from that place. I have been to the threshold, he says. I have seen what it's like to be there. It's like if you're driving down the road or you're a passenger and there is a near accident and for a split second you can see what would have happened if you would have been there with the impact. If the impact had, had connected, intersected with your life. That's what Jonah sees. And then he says, yet you have brought up my life from the pit. It's like Psalm 30. 
that psalm that we're that we're reflecting on today, that we had as our call to worship and that we're going to uh, recite meditatively, taking turns, which is a good way to use the psalms. You have brought up my life from the pit. You cast me into the deep. You have brought up my life from the pit. It's the Lord's work from beginning to end. And then he says something that tells us that Jonah is changing. He says, O Lord, my God. He uses this as a covenant name of God. And he uses it in reference to a personal relationship with him. My God, he says. There's hope for Jonah. He says, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. That's a work of the Spirit. Because there are people who get to the place where they're about to experience hell. They're about to experience the grave. They're about to experience the, the time when there is no more, no more return. And they do not remember the Lord. It's because of the work of God that he remembered the Lord. But Jonah is pretty self-focused. Even in the midst of this prayer, he says, I remember the Lord and my prayer went up to you and to your holy temple. And then Jonah, in reflecting on this, uh, compares uh, those who regard worthless idols to those who know the covenant steadfast love of God. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Mercy is the word hesed. It's a word that's so multifaceted. It means mercy, but it also means God's covenant, steadfast love. It's a very important word in the Bible. It's a word that means that you have access to God's faithfulness and his kindness and his love at all points. Even when you're at the point of being on the threshold of the grave. And those who regard worthless idols, well, they, don't, they forsake their own covenant love, the covenant love that comes from God. It's as if Jonah is talking about those sailors on the ship, worshiping idols. And he's not like that. But the irony of the book of Jonah is that he's actually the one who has forsaken his access to God's steadfast love. That's why he's in this watery grave in the first place. That's why he's experiencing all of this. But he states it as a, as a principle of how we are set free. And he says, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. He seems ready to live a new life. And then he summarizes this in a grand statement, a statement that rings on the pages of Scripture throughout redemptive history. Salvation is of the Lord from start to finish. I remember the story of a man who became a president of a seminary and he was reading the Bible through when the Lord was working on him. He came to this verse and it all came together for him. In one verse, salvation is of the Lord. 
This is what Luther encountered. This is what the Apostle Paul realized. This is what the saints of old who trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ encountered and grasped with antenna-like faith even though they didn't have all of the language, even though it was not put into clear terms for them, they felt their way towards God because they understood that salvation is of the Lord. Jonah is speaking something that is powerfully true. He is going to be delivered. The Lord speaks to the fish. It vomits Jonah Jonah onto the dry land. He's delivered. But you see, there's far more to salvation than Jonah recognizes. This is, this is written on the pages of Scripture for our benefit so that we might reflect upon it in light of everything that God has shown us, everything that has been expressed in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might know that salvation is of the Lord. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who encountered this experience on a deeper, more intimate level than Jonah ever would. Salvation is of the Lord because he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to encounter this. Crying out, as the book of Hebrews tells us, with not just some mumbling prayers on the cross, vehement cries and tears. In the garden, on the cross, because he would be perfected, Hebrews 5, verse 9, to be, become the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is the source of salvation, if you call upon him, to be your savior, you have one who can save you no matter where you are or what you experience. And Jonah, in the belly of a fish for three days, we don't know how he encountered that and was sustained, but we know that salvation is of the Lord. We know he was sustained even despite himself in the midst of that fish, and we know that he was vomited out onto dry land. Salvation comes from the living God. Salvation, if we understand it in the fullness of uh, the revelation that's given to us in the New Testament and the Old, is to be delivered from the penalty and the power and the presence of sin. The penalty of sin in the past, the power of sin in the present, and the presence of sin in the future. The penalty of sin that you needed to pay was laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ. If you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, the penalty is taken away. The power of sin has been broken. The book of Romans tells us this quite clearly in chapters like chapter 6. The power of sin to enslave you, to hold you in its grip, has been broken by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And one day, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, 1 John 3 says that you will be like him. You will be pure. And you will be separated from the presence of sin entirely. 
there are levels of this salvation that Jonah did not taste because Jonah was focused on his own deliverance. And so some regard this experience of the of the fish um, vomiting Jonah onto dry land is an expression of disgust. It's possible. In the book of Job, there's a reference to the wicked swallowing riches and then vomiting them up. God casts them out of his belly. It's possible that there's a there's a, a reference to the, the way that um, God saw Jonah. But we do know that Jonah's sense of God's deliverance is short-lived. He's clearly grateful. He clearly expresses thanksgiving. He also knows he's delivered. He also knows it's a sign of God's favor. He knows that his prayer has been heard. He has prayed toward God's holy temple. And now he's prepared to do something that he wouldn't do before. At the beginning of chapter 3, he obeys. He heeds the word of God and he travels to Nineveh. But you see, the full expression of all of the benefits of salvation that comes from the Lord has to be seen through the lens of the person and work of Jesus Christ, who told us to repent and believe, who told us to turn from our sins. And the great glory of the expression of the gospel uh, in, is shown in the New Testament in many ways, but I'll just give you one as we close this afternoon. This is the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians as he speaks uh, to those who are witnesses of what the Thessalonians look like after they have uh, trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and received uh, the Holy Spirit. They received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, and they are examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia, even believers. Their faith has gone out, he says, so we don't need to say anything. Your faith is a testimony. Why? Because you understand that salvation is of the Lord, and you understand what it means. You understand that you are delivered from the penalty and the power, and you will be delivered from the presence of sin. And he summarizes it this way. Those other people themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Brothers and sisters, the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ was raised from the dead means that the prayer that was offered on your behalf by the Lord Jesus Christ was heard. It's not even your own prayer life that gives you confidence. It's the fact that the prayer of Jesus Christ was that was offered was heard and he was raised from the dead. So now he is the one who delivers us from the wrath to come. If you trusted in Jesus Christ, there will never be a time when you will descend to the moorings of the mountains, to the very heart of the place of the dead, and have the bars close on you forever. You will die. It's appointed unto man once to die. 
But the judgment, the wrath to come, has been laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And what that means is that it's important to see the full scope of deliverance and to turn to God from idols. To turn to Him in full repentance because His work is complete. Not incomplete. His experience of the wrath of God is complete. Not like Jonah's. The Lord Jesus Christ, you see, is the complete Savior. And in his resurrection from the dead, there was no disgust on the part of the Father because it was halfway done, half-hearted. No, he was fully satisfied to deliver you because of him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the way in which uh, the prayer of Jonah was answered and his experience of being delivered from the pit. We thank you that he gave testimony, that he was grateful for being delivered. We thank you that he understands the pattern of uh, trusting in your steadfast love rather than idols. But Father, we look to the Lord Jesus Christ and we see how completely you have obtained for us the means of our salvation. Please teach us the weight of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ in bringing us a complete understanding of salvation, salvation that extends to the past, that has power in the present, and that will remove the presence of sin in the future. Thank you for delivering us from the penalty of our sin. Thank you for delivering us from the power of sin so that we need not be enslaved by it. But teach us to turn to you. Teach us to encounter the fullness of the meaning of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. For that is our great hope, that because we are delivered now from the power of sin, we have even more confidence that that great day will arrive when we are no longer in the presence of sin at all. And Father, we thank you that there is one greater than Jonah who is our Savior. And he understands deliverance in all of its meaning. And we desire to follow him in our understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Shabbat.